All right, our, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1503. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be found in the mercy of Christ. How many of you have ever been wronged? Anyone out there? Pretty much everybody, right? Let me ask you, did you seek justice? Did you take it a step further? Did you try to get revenge? In our text for today, Jesus addresses this very issue. What does a citizen of God's kingdom do when they have been wronged? Now, we have been going through what is known as the antitheses of the Sermon on the Mount. These are these sayings of Jesus that begin with, you have, heard that was, you have heard that it was said, and then end with, but I tell you. Jesus has been correcting the, the improper uses or interpretations of Old Testament scripture during his day. And today, he, he, he delved into a particular scripture that formed the basis for much of the Jewish legal system. And as we'll soon see, it was also the, the legal structure for the Roman world as well. For what is, what is truly at the heart of this command is pure justice. Let's look at this verse again, Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that, that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This saying, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, was a, was a verbiage for punitive justice that the Jews were supposed to legally impose on those who committed acts of evil. It comes to us from Leviticus 24, verses 17 through 22. Let's take a look. If anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has injured the other, so he is to be injured. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a man must be put to death. You are to have the same law for the alien and the native-born. I am the Lord your God. Now this law of equal retribution was given to the people for two reasons. First, 
It was meant to curb evil. Knowing that whatever act of harm you imposed on another would be returned upon your head would give a person pause before doing such an act. You see, without, without laws such as this one, what you will typically find is an escalation in violence. It's just what Karen was telling the children. You know, if, if one person kicks the other person and the, the next child, what are they going to do? They're going to kick them a little bit harder. A man, if he gets insulted by his neighbor, what does he do? He insults him back, right? And, and that neighbor will then take offense, and maybe he gets so offended that he, he, he takes a swing at the man. Well, the other man fights back, and, and then pretty soon they're in a, a nice good tussle, and, and the stronger of the two will end up hurting the other. Maybe he breaks the other man's leg. Yet with, with such a law in place, there will be a limit in the back of that person's mind as to how far he's going to take his violence. The stronger will say to himself, I will subdue the man without permanent damage, lest I face those same consequences. The second thing such a law does is it prevents retaliation. Suppose there, there, there were no laws in place. What would the man with the broken leg do? He would plot his revenge, would he not? Once he had healed, he, he would go off in the middle of the night when the other man was sleeping, and do to that man worse than he received. This is, this is why gave, God gave them this law, to curb sin and, and to prevent a person from seeking vengeance. See, what you have to understand is that, is that these laws were not carried out by the individuals, but they were carried out through the courts. There would be judges in place that would distribute this justice, appeasing the one who had been wrong. And this, this is in agreement with another commandment of God. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Fast forward to Jesus' day, and we see that the Romans had a similar notion of justice. They called it lex talionis, which meant the law of equal retaliation. This idea of eye for eye and tooth for tooth was common throughout much of the world. It was a form of pure justice, and it kept the wicked hearts of men at bay. But in our text for today, Jesus shows his disciples a different way, a better way. Look at Matthew 5, verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Here we see the, the thrust of Jesus' message. Do not resist an evil person. Two things to note here. One, Christ is assuming that the person who has wronged you is evil. So the, the situations he will talk about are circumstances brought about by evil intent. Jesus, he doesn't downplay the vindictiveness of the aggressor. 
Nor does he minimize the damage or the hurt that has been done. This is an evil person who has done an evil act. Two, Christ is asking his disciples to not resist. They are to be slow in seeking justice. Jesus wants his people to to demonstrate a different attitude when it it comes to being wronged. Instead Instead of seeking retributive justice, they should act in a way that is non resistant. He then illustrates such actions for us using four examples. First, how to react to insult. Look at the rest of verse 39. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This striking of the cheek was a a backhanded blow meant to sting. But But its real purpose was to demean someone. It was to bring about shame and dishonor to a person's name. When I lived in Thailand, I learned a lot about cultures based on honor and shame. I was taught that certain parts of the body were more honorable than others. In fact, Paul even talks about that in one of his letters. For example, the foot. The foot is of the least honor because they are constantly getting dirty. And especially... Before the inventions of good shoes, feet would get really, really dirty. This is why it was in, in Thailand, it's considered an insult to a Thai person if someone points their foot at another. However, it's a person's head that carries the most honor. One cannot even touch a person's head without permission. I remember once when, when I was in Thailand, there was, a, there was a bee that landed in my hair, and I didn't know that it was there. And my Thai friend very calmly said this, Corey, do you mind if I touch your hair? You have a bee there, and I would like to remove it. Now, now here in the States, if we see a simple house fly and land on someone's hair, we'll just go off and whack the person in the head. <laughs> you know, that's, but that's our culture, right? We've got no shame. <laughs> but in a culture that values honor to a high degree, the head and the face are of particular importance. And in Israel, if a person was struck in the face... Legally, they could seek recompense for the disgrace that they had suffered. In other words, they could could take the the person that had struck them to court and have them fined for such an offense. Lex talionis. Jesus proposes a different solution. Instead of seeking justice, why not allow the insult for a second time? Turn the other cheek, giving them another chance to strike. Now, why would Jesus say this? What this does is it it demonstrates to that person that, that you value their honor above your own. You see, the goal is not to restore your own pride. 
Rather, it is to win the other person over. How is it that we shame one another in our culture? The most common way that we see it today is through social media. How do you react when you are insulted on Twitter? Or what do you do when someone spreads a rumor about you on Facebook? Do you try to retaliate? Do you, do you post something back, shaming them? Lex talionis. Christ shows you a better way. Do not resist an evil person. Don't look for retribution. Rather, rather for their sake, gladly endure the humiliation once more. Second, how to react to financial injustice. Look at verse 40. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Now what is going on here? What is, what is Jesus talking about when he mentions being sued for your tunic? And what's the difference between a tunic and a cloak? A tunic was a thinner inner garment made of either linen or wool. It, it, would, it would hang from the neck all the way down to a person's knees or maybe to their ankles. It was a lightweight material. The cloak, on the other hand, was, was thicker and was worn on the outside. It, it had long sleeves and it was used for, for covering in the night for warmth. It was, it was a large piece, piece of cloth that, that, that could be used like a blanket. It could cover the whole body. Now, now the books of uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy give us greater understanding as to the importance of the cloak, particularly to those who were poor. Look at Exodus 22, verses 26 and 27. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear it, for I am compassionate. And again in Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 through 13. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into his house to get what he is offering as a pledge. Stay outside and let the man to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession. Return his cloak to him by sunset so that he may, that he may sleep in it. Then he will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. So here we see the importance of a, of, of a cloak to a poor man. It was his only source of warmth. In Jesus' day, one could not sue a man for his cloak, as it was so vital to his well-being. But they could sue for his tunic. Have you ever heard the saying, they, they took him to the cleaners? Basically, this is what Jesus is talking about. To, to sue him for a man's tunic was to take all of the man's possessions in a dishonest way. Have you ever been ripped off? How did you react? Did you, did you demand a refund? 
Did he take that person to court? Lex Talionis. Jesus is offering some radical advice here. If, if an evil person wants to sue you for your tunic, offer, offer to them your cloak as well. Give to them your, your only source of warmth, demonstrating that you value their well-being above your own. Do not resist an evil person. Instead, bless them twice. Let your own suffering be for their gain. Third, how to react to oppressive abuse. Look at verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I thought Karen did a great job of explaining this to the kids. You know, this is the Roman law that, that the Jews were required to follow. If, if a Roman soldier approached them and asked them to carry the burden, they would have to do it for a distance of one mile. Now, now the Greek word here is million, which, which is a Roman mile, or 1,000 paces. It, it was, what, this, what this did, it was just one more way that these Romans oppressed their people. And this, this is what we see going on when, when they were crucifying Jesus and he could no longer bear the weight of the cross. They, they forced a Jew to carry the burden for a thousand paces. Look at Matthew 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. And so this man named Simon was forced to carry this cross for a thousand paces. Now, now imagine if you're a Jew and you're just going about your daily business when all of a sudden a soldier comes up to you, hands you his heavy gear, forces you to carry it for a thousand paces. Needless to say, just, just like what Karen was saying, this would cause anger and bitterness and grumbling among the Jews. They, they were already upset that they were under Roman rule, and this just, just added insult to injury. There was a deep-seated anger that one would harbor within. And this, this anger within is just man's way of desiring justice. Lex Helionis. What Jesus suggests is a change of attitude. Instead, you are to take joy in helping this soldier. You are to go beyond what the law requires. Do not resist an evil person. Instead of being bitter and only doing what the law obligates you to do, you should carry their burden twice as far. Finally, how to react to those who are desperate. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Where Jesus' first three examples describe occasions where a per person is in a position of weakness, here the role is reversed. The person is now in a position of power. They have the means to give or to lend. 
And the evil person that they are not to resist is a person in need. Feelings of animosity and a strong sense of justice are not relegated only to those who are in power. No. Judgment can be cast on those who are lowly as well. Think about the, the addict on the street that you come across asking for change. Or how about that, that, that lazy man that's living on welfare, abusing the system by taking government handouts. It, it's easy for us who have, who have worked hard and have earned our way to begrudge these people for always taking and never providing. Jesus says no. You are to give to the one who asks of you. And you are not to turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And this is nothing new. Look at Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you will not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. Often when you are generous and get burned by your generosity, it tends to carry over to the next person who asks you for help. And so you show ill will towards a person in need out of some sense of retributive justice. Lex Kalionis. Jesus offers a better way. A way of compassion. Do not resist an evil person. Instead of begrudging him, bless the person in need by giving and lending. So what is the point of all this? Why is Jesus so concerned with hearts that seek retributive justice? I mean, isn't justice a good thing? After all, in, in the Beatitudes at the beginning of this sermon, didn't Jesus say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Aren't, isn't it a good thing to seek justice? Yes, justice is a good thing. But there is something even better. God's mercy. As kingdom people, you don't favor the law over forgiveness. You don't favor vengeance over grace. You're to be a people who show mercy first. This also goes back to the Beatitudes. Look at Matthew 5, verse 7. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Brothers, sisters, the, the, the reason you are to act with mercy is because that is exactly how your Lord acted towards you. He did not resist your evil. Instead, he turned the other cheek as the soldiers struck him on the face and mocked him. He then gave up his tunic and his cloak as the soldiers cast lots to take ownership. He then walked that extra mile carrying the burden of the cross and the burden of your sin. And he gives freely to, to all who ask of him, wiping away the debts of their iniquities. For those who repent and trust in him, he does not impose lex talionis, retributive justice. Rather, he doles out divine mercy. Dear friends, what, what retributive justice does is it, is it puts you in the position of God. Only God can judge rightly. This is what we read about in our first scripture reading, Romans 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus overcame your evil by going to the cross and dying for your sins. And now he asks of you to do the same. Do not resist an evil person. Demonstrate mercy instead. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we are a people who, who desire mercy when we sin and and desire justice when others sin against us. Change our hearts. Help us to be more like your Son, who, who willingly suffered for our gain. He brought to us forgiveness when we deserved punishment. Guide us by your Holy Spirit as we seek to extend mercy to those who do evil against us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.